My wife, she's hilarious. Um, if you don't know her, you should. Uh, you'll laugh more. A few weeks back, she told me that she had a dream that she was a Christian comedian. And uh, I could totally see her doing that. Not the, like, clean Christian part, but the comedian part for sure. Um, she had this joke, though, that, like, actually made sense. So I figured I'd tell the joke. Uh, who was the first person to have FOMO, fear of missing out? Jesus, because he said, where two or three are gathered, there I am. Oh, come on. I thought it was good, honey. I thought it was really, she's funny in her dreams, but this has absolutely nothing to do with what we're talking about, by the way. Um, but now you have a cheesy joke to share with your cheesy Christian friends, so. Anyways, we've been in this series called 714, uh, taken from Second Chronicles 714. And we're just a couple of weeks into a 40 days of prayer journey as a church. And as I've been preparing for this morning and asking the Lord for what he would want to say in light of the season we're in, I've been burdened by the fact that I don't think I'm experiencing the Holy Spirit and his transforming work to the degree that I know I'm supposed to be. And as I was praying through this, I believe that the Lord led me to a word for us today about the fact that we have to be set-apart people full of the Holy Spirit who are distinct, who are distinct in the world. And so to this end, I just want to pray um, and ask for the Spirit's help this morning. Father, I just confess from the outset that the sin in me wants glory for myself. And so this morning I ask that you would glorify yourself. We place you in the seat of honor today. Holy Spirit, we long for you. We long for more of you. Would you come and pour yourself out and draw us to yourself today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, to illustrate this, uh, Ethan, where did Ethan go? Ethan Airstein is going to help me illustrate something. And I actually need a volunteer. Come on. I, I'd love to have a student. Uh, Diego? Come on, man. Let's give Diego a hand. We didn't, Diego has no idea what he's getting into. So um, hopefully this works. So Ethan, this is my good friend Ethan. You can come on up here. Um, Ethan is super talented. He's in better shape at whatever age he is now than I'll ever be or ever have been. Um, all right, dude, you're going to come over here. Have you ever played the guitar, by the way? Yes. He's never played. Come on. Strap it on, dude. So you're going you're gonna to sit right here. All right. So right arm through the strap. Just like that. Do you like rock and roll at least? That doesn't matter. He's never played before. All right, so, all right, here's what we're going to do. So he hasn't played the guitar, which makes this perfect. Um, in, in, in music, like guitar players like to trade riffs is what we call it. It's like musical horse almost. And so um, I'm going to have you just play something, okay? Okay? All right. You ready for this? So I want you to just like, here, step over here, okay? And then you guys can do that like back-to-back -back thing. Um, all right, and then here's a trick. This one right here, I call this the rock and roll switch. All right, so just lay into it, dude. Come on. 
Should be louder than that. Go ahead. Come on. Play, like shred a little. All right, never mind. Hey, E, show them how it's done, man. Okay. All right. All right. Good, 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 good. All right, so what we do then is you have to, you've got to match him, okay? So you're going to trade, a, you're going to do another riff and you're going to throw it back at him. You know what I mean? And here's a trick. So if you just turn all of these on, what happens is you can just call it artsy. And so it doesn't matter what you play, okay? All right, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, Shred. Do what he did. See, it kind of sounds like it, actually. All right. That's enough of that, please. Ethan, one more time. All right, all right, that's good. That's good. We get the point, right? Ethan needs to learn how to play. All right, thanks, guys. Oh, hey, for your troubles, have a coffee on me. There you go. Oh, thank you. Yeah, cheers. All right, so... Here's the point, okay? This, obviously, it's very self-indulging and fun, but, oh, I think we're feeding back here. You might just want to mute that. There we go. <laughs> the point is, followers of Jesus are supposed to be as clearly distinguishable as somebody that knows how to play the guitar and somebody that doesn't. You following? should be that easy to tell the difference. Followers of Jesus should, should stand out, should be set apart, should be distinctly different from the world. And here's a, a major concern that I've been praying about recently. I observe that we, and I include myself in this number, we aren't distinct people in the world to the degree that I believe we're called to be. We go to church, we pray, we read scripture, we may even give a little, but at the same time, we continue to strive for power and status. We continue to choose comfort and security as an essential right. We hoard God's blessings for ourselves. We continue to engage in political and social issues in a way that's, that's divisive and demeaning. We're as controlled and defeated by depression and anxiety and anger and pride and gossip is the next person that doesn't follow Jesus. And James exhorts us, in James chapter 3 says about this dualism, he says, this shouldn't be so. And church, family, this shouldn't be so. I think my question for us today is simply, does this matter? Does it matter? If you've got a Bible, I would invite you to open it to 1 Peter 2, verse 9. And if you don't, it'll be on the screen for you. 1 Peter 2, verse 9 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that, that's a really important word, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful Light. And this is a huge truth for the people of God. This is identity shifting. It's purpose defining. 
We are set apart, holy people, so that we can declare the praises of God. Why does it matter? Because it points back to Jesus. We have to be distinct because it points to Jesus. Doctors, stay-at-home parents, cashiers, business people, teachers, first responders, students, janitors, politicians, wherever you are, whatever you do, if you are in Christ, you are set apart. And if you embody that truth in whatever environment you're in, it will make you distinct and it will draw people to Jesus. And it's what the world needs. How many of you watched the vice presidential debate this week? Anybody watch that? Don't worry, I'm not going to get political. Um, If you didn't, there was a question submitted by an eighth grader toward the end of the debate. I'm going to read it to you. She asked this, when I watch the news, all I see is arguing between Democrats and Republicans. When I watch the news, all I see is citizen fighting against citizen. When I watch the news, all I see is two candidates from opposing parties trying to tear each other down. And if our leaders can't get along, how are our citizens supposed to get along? Your examples could make all the difference to bring us together. And my my summary is I felt like both Pence and Harris answered primarily in a way that built up their platform further and that kind of dug in division and disagreement more. And I believe, church, that this girl and I believe the rest of the world, they're looking for distinct and set-apart people. I think it's what they're looking for. But most of the world is looking in the wrong places, to the wrong people, and for the wrong Savior. What a powerful declaration of the light and love of Christ. A set-apart, chosen, and holy people could be for this world that's in such bad shape. Amen? And I know that I try with all my might to be different, to have power uh, in Christ, to have victory, to be an effective witness, but it's seldom experienced, if I'm honest. Do you experience that? What makes us set apart? The question is, how are we set apart? I believe that the third, or the answer is the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. The missing piece is the Spirit of God in us. This is how we are distinct. Check out this interaction between God and Moses in Exodus 33, starting in verse 13. It says, If you are pleased with me, this is Moses talking to God, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. And here's, the, here's what he says. I love this. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? Without, unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Moses recognized that the presence of God was what distinguished them. If the presence of God was not with them, they would blend in to a world that's full of idolatry. They'd be powerless to reflect God in the world. In Acts 1.8, it reinforces this truth, I believe, that it's the spirit that distinguishes and mobilizes his people. It says this, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
The Holy Spirit is the power of God that distinguishes and enables us to be effective witnesses. The Holy Spirit is who gives us. We can't get this on our own. He gives us those fruits that are listed in Galatians 5 of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. And I think if you were to contrast those fruits with the fruit of the world, the fruit of the world are, are hate and depression, anxiety, relent, restlessness, bitterness, harshness, chaos. And this is the testimony for the nations. A people of God, full of the Holy Spirit, set apart, embodying the fruits of the Spirit. Man, I want that. I want that in my life. The Holy Spirit is the great transformer, and without the Holy Spirit, we will not be changed, and the world won't either. Without the Holy Spirit, prayer, like we've been talking about, is simply a superstitious ritual without relationship. Scripture without the Spirit becomes rules without transformation. The church, this thing that we do without the Holy Spirit, becomes a social club marked by status and division and drama. Leadership just becomes political power grabbing. Talents and gifts only build up pride and self-glorification. And I truly believe that this type of church is exactly what Satan wants. One that's got great programming and a full auditorium, but no Holy Spirit. J.I. Packer said this, The Christian's life in all its aspects, intellectual and ethical, devotional and relational, upsurging in worship and outgoing in witness is supernatural. Only the Spirit can initiate and sustain it. So apart from Him, not only will there be no lively believers and no lively congregations, there will be no believers and no congregations at all. And I'm concerned that in the American church, that we've settled for the veneer of spirituality without experiencing the real thing, which is Christ in us, the hope of glory. I'm concerned that our primary contact with the presence of God is on a Sunday morning, but we leave the rest of our lives untouched. And I've come to a point in recent months of realizing that, man, I don't experience the power of the Holy Spirit like I should and like is promised. I live too safely. I'm lulled to sleep by fleeting comfort and, and distractions and priorities of the world. I settle for a human standard called good enough when God's standard is holiness. I'm still dulled by depression Anxious about the future, living like I'm guaranteed another breath and that eternity doesn't impact today. Too easily irritated with my kids. I'm too harsh and inconsiderate with my wife. Too quick to walk away from challenging relationships. Too close to pursue reconciliation. My selfishness drives too many of my decisions. My pride and preoccupation with the opinions of others keeps me from proclaiming Jesus to those that need him most. 
Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4 that the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. And church, I have to confess. I have to repent. I've been more of a talker about the Holy Spirit than a powerful vessel filled with the Spirit. And I've had to ask myself honestly, do I want this? Do I want this? What if I actually seek the Spirit and He asks me to to give something up, to sacrifice? How does this impact my family? Could I actually pray like Ian shared last week that my kingdom would go so that God's kingdom would come? And church, my answer today is simply yes. I need more. I can't do this anymore. This is not what we're called to. The missing piece of my life is the continual filling and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And I'm not okay with this anymore. How about you? Are you hungry for something more? This morning, I believe the Spirit wants to stir up a holy restlessness in our souls, to rekindle the fire of the Spirit in us, to awaken us to His power, to pour out His Spirit on us. So what do we do? What's the solution? I believe the simple answer is be filled with the Spirit. And this is a nuanced topic. There are different understandings of being filled and probably some baggage associated with it depending on your church background. And I would just say if if up to this point you've had experiences with people who uh, are very uh, led by the Spirit or you've had encounters with, with the Spirit and the result of that was like fear or anxiety or oppression or those, that's like, that's not the Holy Spirit. I want to clarify that. Remember the fruits of the Spirit? When you interact with the Holy Spirit, what comes is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness. Like that, that's the Spirit. But Scripture makes it really clear that to be a holy, set-apart people, we have to be filled with the Spirit. And it makes it clear that we're supposed to ask for the Spirit. When we accept Christ, we receive a new Spirit. We have a spiritual rebirth, John 3. Ephesians 5.18 tells us to be continually filled with the Spirit. This is that process of sanctification where we are convicted by the Spirit and we repent and we grow and we're becoming more like Jesus because we're becoming more full of the Spirit. And then there are also many occasions in Scripture where the Holy Spirit actually fills His people, pours His Spirit out in, in, in powerful ways that accompany ministry and gospel proclamation. And, but again... The message is clear. We're to be filled with the Spirit. This is what makes us a set-apart people. And so the question is, how are we filled with the Spirit? I want to just quickly run through a few scriptures. And this only scratches the surface of what God's Word has to say about this. Luke 11, verse 13 
This is Jesus teaching. He says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So the first promise is that we simply ask in faith. That's it. God's a good father. I want my kids to eat and to have clothes and to have toys. I want to give them good gifts. Our holy father wants to give us his spirit. Second verse, John 14, verses 15 to 17 say, If you love me, keep my commands. And and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. So my youngest daughter, Liza, uh, she was watching TV with her older sister, Lucy, and um, she was crying at her and complaining and griping and that kind of stuff. And so I said, uh, trying to mitigate the situation, I said, honey, what's wrong? You don't like what you're watching? She said, no, I like what I'm watching. I said, what's the problem? She said, I want to hold the remote. And so I was like, seriously, you want to hold the remote? And Liza insightfully admitted I just want to be in control. (laughs) And this second promise one, though, is one of releasing control. It's one of allowing God's word to direct and to guide your lives. Full surrender. If we will keep God's commands, Jesus says, he gives us the spirit. And then finally in Acts 2, there's an incredible scene that happens. And up to this point, the believers had been gathered, waiting and praying for the Holy Spirit to be poured out after Jesus had ascended. And this is where, I'm going to actually read a longer stretch of scripture here. Because I think um, I've spoken enough and I'd rather just let God's word speak. So um, I'm going to kind of jump around Acts 2 here um, to get the scene. So Acts 2 starting in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they had heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. I love that God is a God of all people. We're going to jump down to verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Apparently that's the cutoff. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Jump down to verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And here's the third way. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And here's the promise. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I believe that Acts 2 verse 38 
is what God's calling us to today. I believe it's what he requires of us to repent. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the clearest thing I can sense from the Spirit as I've been praying into this is the, the specific thing that we need to repent of is for blending into the world. For being both in the world and of the world. For worshiping the gods of this world along with Yahweh. And this is also the context of 2 Corinthians 7.14 that we've been talking about. We love the promise that when we pray, God heals, he forgives. But you just go down a few verses, and the reason all this is happening is because the Israelites have been worshiping other gods. They weren't being a holy and set-apart people. And so I want to just kind of land where we started with that. If you'd consider yourself a follower of Jesus this morning, will you take an honest evaluation of your life? Would you say that you live in a way that sets you apart distinctly from the world that you're in? Do you have little victory in your life? Victory over anger and depression and pride and addiction and lust and hatred? whatever it is? Have you been in, or have you been content with the veneer of spirituality but not the surrender of a life of obedience? The invitation today is to repent. Repent and be filled with the Spirit. Worship team, you guys can come on up. So we're going to go into a time of worship um, and as the team leads, if the Spirit uh, prompts you, if the Spirit's been speaking to you this morning, I want to invite you to respond in one of two ways. So first, if you need to take a step of repentance and to surrender, I want to invite you to actually kneel if you're able. It's, a sim- it's just kind of a symbol of surrender. You can kneel in your seat. You can kneel. We've got prayer benches on either side. If you're able, I want to invite you to kneel. And then second, if this morning you just desire to be filled with the Holy Spirit in a new way, to experience His power, I want to invite you to stand and to hold your hands out just as a symbol of receiving. And if you're online this morning, I want to encourage you to do the same thing in your living room, at your kitchen table, wherever you're at. And maybe as a family, you need to respond. Maybe as a family even. In Hebrews 3, the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts like your ancestors did before you. So may we respond to the promptings of the Spirit today. Let me pray.
Lord, would you speak to us? Your word says that the spirit is the spirit of conviction. Would you elevate conviction? Things that we've not surrendered to you. Ways that we've not been a distinct and set apart people in this world. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you come and convict our hearts, transform us and make us more like you. We are so desperate for you. I've been trying for way too long to be spiritual, to be like you. I've been trying for way too long. And I need your spirit. So we invite you to come and move. Draw us to our knees. Have mercy on us, Lord. among us here in this place, Jesus, we pray.